0: Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com.
1: Now, I've been looking forward to this particular time for a long time. Uh, actually, for years, <laughs> and particularly here in, the, in recent years, uh, as there have been more opportunities to invite this guest to be with us, and uh, I seized the opportunity, and I'm so thankful that they had this date open and could be with us. Now, think about kind of how to to acquaint you with or introduce you to Doc and June Shale. I could just say, well, they are dear, dear friends uh, that, uh, uh, you know, you have i think june mentioned earlier as we were praying together that there are just certain people in your life that you have a friendship that you can be together but then you can be away from one another in distance and in time for years and years and years and when you're back together it's just almost like immediately you're back there and and the friendship is there and it's just like you've never been apart and these are dear friends that are just like that um I met Doc some years ago. In fact, it's hard to believe as young as we are that it's been about 50 years. Uh, that is amazing, isn't it? When you look, when you look at it, I understand that. But about 50 years, I think they're celebrating their 50th year in ministry, actually. And um, he's, he's the Alabama folks, and he's raised in Sand Mountain up the around Crossville. And Skirm, I think, is to be exactly, if I remember correctly. But... Um, I met him as a young, I was a very, very young pastor. We met together. He was pastoring up in northwest Alabama at the time. We were both part of a denominational church at that time. And um, he finished school, graduated from what is now University of North Alabama. And then we ended up both up in Kentucky, pastoring different churches in Kentucky. And we uh, both went to Asbury Theological Seminary there in Asbury. So, and all that time watching, you know, us growing older and each one of us watching our kids grow up. And, and things changing. Uh, eventually, we, I, he ended up back in Alabama, and I eventually ended up back in Alabama. And he planted a, a great church um, in Florence, Alabama some years, and pastored there. He uh, planted a church and pastored there for 35 years before retiring. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing church. Uh, God has done some wonderful things there over the years. I had the opportunity in the brief time that we moved from Kentucky, a little interval of time, uh, uh, that we had there, and they were very gracious to in, invite us to come up and, and uh, actually to serve on staff with Doc, which was such an honor and, and, uh, and privilege to be there for, I think was we there about three years before we moved back down this area. Um, when it comes right down to it, uh, I would say that uh, unfortunately it's becoming a, a rarity that you find people that are just people that are so genuine and so real. And, you know, what you see is what you get. They are who they are, and they love God with all their heart. To find a godly man and woman, godly parents, godly marriage and one of the main things I think has been such a blessing to so many of us over the years is, is uh, such, such, they both have pastors, Doc and June Shell, both have such a pastor's heart and love people. And he's ministered uh, in several other countries and ministered in several states, United States here, and uh, is still ministering, staying real busy here. He oversees the Alliance Ministries, which is a a gathering of several different churches and leadership uh, in different ministries there and oversees that uh, still. And um, I am just deeply grateful for him. If I could point to someone that I hold in such high regard, a man that I trust completely, an honorable man and woman to be Doc and June Shell, and we are honored to have them with us today. And I want you just to give them a good family, a good covenant life welcome as uh Doc shall come share with us this morning, brother. Thank you, Thank you.
0: Well, hallelujah. He said it just like I told him to. So <laughs> you know, I I I guess I don't know how many times I've thought about. This particular moment, uh, how I could say what I know is in June's heart. I, I don't know how to honor uh, and love this couple any more than, than what I do. They are special to us. We've loved them more years than we want to admit that we're old. But anyway, and, and then to be here with you guys today, uh, thank you. We love your pastor and his wife. Um, we've 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 done a lot of stuff together. I can remember they were in Kentucky. Uh, I, they, that was the first time I'd ever seen nervous goats. Th- there's a name for that, but but there was a, I don't know, there must have been 15 or 20 of them, and you could walk up to them and holler real loud, and everyone would just fall over and start shaking. So anyway, that really impressed me. So. <laughs> But anyway, they—they they, I just love, and their family, you know, part of our family, to watch them over the years. I can remember and just watch them and see them unfold to what God intended and gave them purpose. God wanted for their life, and that it's just touched my heart. Thank you guys. I mean, thank you for letting me be here. Uh, I don't know, a few months ago, June came in. Telling me this story, you know, down south of here, down in in the uh, Cajun country, where they talk a little different. We talk a little different, but down there they call onions onions, and so they talk a little different. There's a couple of guys down there. One of them's named Boudreau, and the other's named Tippitoe. So Boudreau was coming by Tippitoe's house one day, and he saw in the front yard a sign that said "Talking Dog for Sale." So he just stopped and goes in, knocks on the door. Opens the door Boudreau goes in and says, I, I know you got a sign, talking dog. You got a talking dog. Yeah, I got a talking dog. He said, I can see that dog. I say, yeah. he's out in the backyard. Went out in the backyard and there was this old dog laying there. He walked up to the dog and said, do you talk? He said, I sure do. I'm a talking dog. Not only can I talk, I'm a famous dog. I've been around the world. I worked for CIA. I worked for the federal government. I'm a famous dog. My. Boudreaux was impressed. They went back in the house and he said, how much you own for talking dog? He say, $10. He say, $10? How come so cheap? Oh, he said, that dog's lying. He ain't never been out of the backyard. So. <laughs> anyway, I, I uh, for some time now have been Felt pressed of the Lord into some things that I, I trust is the Lord. And I've been pressed into this for months and months, uh, not, not continually, but back and forth in the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you may. And in this 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, it is all about parables. Jesus actually gives seven parables and one at the end that does not fit into the seven. And so there are in these seven parables in Matthew 13 secrets. And a matter of fact, uh, I'll give you the scripture just if you're writing down notes. They came to Jesus and said, Why do you speak to us in parables? Well, first of all, in 13, and all of this is in 13, verse 10 and 11, because, and this is my translation, he said, because you who believe, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, mystery is something not known to everybody. Only those in the kingdom know the mystery. So he said, it's been given to you to know these mysteries. And then in verse 35, he said, since the foundation of the world, there is revealed in these parables a uh, secret not known to date. Now, so that means in these seven parables, God, Jesus is going to, obviously God in flesh, going to unveil to us mysteries and secrets to the believer, some of which has not been known from the foundation of the world. And when I, when I began to see that, I thought, <clears throat> I want to know about this. When I talk about the kingdom of God, uh, we must understand, first of all, Jesus came God in flesh. Interesting. And when he came, he only talked about the church about three times. Jesus only mentioned the church three times. He talked about the kingdom over a hundred it would you would immediately kind of get the idea that his focus was not just the church, but a kingdom he came to establish. Matter of fact, when Gabriel shows up, if you know it there in Luke, and he said uh, to the little maiden, Mary, he said, you will have a son, and and, and and of his kingdom, there will be no end. He's coming to establish a kingdom that hell cannot overcome. Amen. Hallelujah that a kingdom that will never stop. And I want to make an announcement. <clears throat> the devil is not gonna take this thing over because he came to establish a kingdom that will never be overturned. So, so he, he takes a multitude now in 13 of Matthew and, and, and goes down and begins to teach them. And I think he's doing this because he's connecting to why he came. Uh, You remember when John the Baptist showed up? What did he come doing? John came preaching the kingdom. He came preaching about the kingdom. And then Jesus shows up and guess what Jesus does? He comes preaching the kingdom and demonstrating it. He was different. He not only preached it, he demonstrated it. And then Jesus in, in Matthew 10 commissions 12 to go to the nation of Israel. What does he do? He says, go preach. The gospel of the kingdom. Heal the sick, raise the dead. You know the list. In other words, the gospel of the kingdom has power over all this. And then in Luke 10, he says to those, these were not preachers necessarily. These were what we would call lay people. He commissioned 70 and says, go out in into the world. Now he says, and say to them, the kingdom of God is among you. And not interesting? We don't hear a lot about the kingdom. We hear a lot about the church, but the church is not the kingdom. The church is a relationship through which God expresses the kingdom. It's like the water hose. The water hose don't water your garden. The water waters your garden, but it gets, it gets there through the hose. And we who believe in Jesus and are born again become the water hose through which God flows his kingdom into the world. And, and, and they came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Show us to pray like you do, because when you pray, you get result." And, and he said like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my, this thing inside of me that burns like a fire is, is that God came in flesh with a message that in the day that you and I are living, we're, I, I, let me just stop, I know that I don't want to come Here at Alexandria, and say this to you guys: You know we're in a mess. This nation is in a mess. The Democrats, the Republicans, and the Independents are not going to fix it. God may use them. It's going to take God. It's going to take the Church of Jesus Christ, who knows Him vertically, to rise up with a kingdom message about a King and His Kingdom. You can't have a you can't have a kingdom without a King. And if you got a king, he's gonna have a kingdom, hallelujah. And he has a name above every name that at his name, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Why don't we why don't we just go ahead and do it now and avoid the rock? Because one day everybody will bow their knee and say, He is Lord, hallelujah. So I want to do it now, praise God. So the kingdom now is among us. When you got saved, you invited the king inside of you. You you didn't get people used to say to me, I perceive that you're religious. I said, I pray not. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He came to establish a body and, and give us a relationship with his father through his own life. We're not religious, we're related. Okay? So when he sets down to teach the kingdom, He starts out to do seven, and I'm not going to do all seven of these, so hallelujah. But anyway, you can breathe easy. I want to talk a little about the first one that he sat down and taught them. And he he gives a parable, an illustration of the human heart, and he uses four of them. He uses four parabolic words to describe every human on planet Earth. Every one of us here fits in one of these four here this morning. So I want to I talk about them, okay? So the four kinds, we know as you look at this, and I will read it as we go along, you know that the sower is Jesus because he said a sower went out to sow. We know that sower is Jesus. What did he sow? He sowed the word, and he sowed the word in Saul's which were representative of our human hearts. So the sower goes out to sow the word in our hearts. And so then he, t- he talks about the four kinds of human hearts. But let's deal with the first one. In verse four, he says, and he sowed some seed and it fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Now, the, the interesting thing about this parable, he tells it and then he explains it. Later, he explains it. In verse 19, he tells you what verse 4 means. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Uh, This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So that's the first one. He said, the the sower sowed the seed by the wayside. Now, the wayside was a hardened place. So the first thing I want to talk about is the heart that was hardened. When the seed fell, you know what a, what a trail, if people have walked on the trail a lot, it becomes hard. You throw seed out and it will not germinate and it will not produce. This was the illustration. So, so Jesus said the seed was sown by the wayside and never produced a crop. Now, this, th- th- there's a key to this. What was the problem with the first one? Well, when the seed was sown in the hard heart, they didn't understand what they heard. Now, all of us would say, well, I don't understand everything about the Bible. None of us do. It's all a process, and we never will. Even in eternity, I don't think we'll ever arrive. But the hardened heart is really rooted in, I, know, I didn't get it. Have you never been in church when you're standing beside somebody and they're about to get raptured? And, and you look over this other one, and he's about to die on you. It's like one fellow said at his church, I had a guy, one of them big mega churches, a guy died on the back row and they called the ambulance and took out eight of them before they figured out which one died. But anyway, <laughs> now that was a dead church. What I'm saying to you, God sows the word. How many of you even know the word's going out? And, and, and to some people, it falls by the wayside because it's a hard place. But, and, and when I looked at that, I, I had to ask myself an honest question. How do our hearts, or how can they, become hardened? Well, let me tell you, a hardened heart usually is never recognized. It's hard, it's hard to recognize a hardened heart. Well, let, let me tell you. I'll do it real quick. Hebrews 3.13, it says, our hearts can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin never tells you the truth. Sin never tells you the truth. It's deceitful. You know, the the devil never, you give him your finger and he never takes your finger and grabs you above the elbow. So it's deceitful. The other thing in Hebrews 3.15, he said, when you hear the word, you don't heed it and it will harden your heart. I mean, right here in the Bible, I'm looking at it. If you're hearing the word and not heeding what you're hearing, your heart will become hard. Uh, Mark 3.5, Jesus said to those Pharisees, uh, he said, your heart has been hardened because they had a lifeless religion. Some of the meanest people you'll ever meet are religious people. I mean, some of them are meaner in the yard though. All in the name of their religion because it doesn't have life in it. It has form without life. And and, and then Jesus said it again in, in the 16th chapter of Mark in verse 14. He said, he said, they came to tell you the tomb is empty and I'm alive and you didn't believe it because your heart had been hardened. And you can go on and on and on uh, and, and find out how our hearts become hardened. But I, I said, okay, Lord, then how can I check it to see if it is? <laughs> well, you don't do it by going to the doctor. So you check my heart and see if it's hard. If it's beaten, thank God for it. Amen. How do I know my heart's hard? Let me give you a checklist, real quick. For when you take correction as personal attack, any correction is taken as a personal attack. Probably there's a hardness there. You're unable to love people. I mean, really, genuine. Now you can use people. I'm not genuinely. When you love somebody, you don't ask anything in return. Other people's successes don't make you happy. I remember one time I told a fellow, I said, where'd you get that car? I said, God gave it to me. He said, why didn't he give me one? I I, I, Well, I don't know. You ask him. He's the one who gave it to me. Well, that guy's speaking without his knowing from a heart that's become hard, He couldn't rejoice in the fact that God gave me a car. So a hard heart won't rejoice because somebody else's church is bigger than yours or somebody else has got a better whatever than you've got, listen, A tender heart will rejoice in the goodness of God wherever they see it. Now, the the other one is is you just can't share your life with people. I mean, you know, you know. And let me give you another one. You live in a defensive mood. It's just like you're always, I mean, I could, actually I woke up, I think it was just one thinking about it. And I wouldn't dare mention this. This woman loves God. But I tell you, if you woke up and said, I'm going to give you a brand new Mercedes cost $150,000, I can tell you what you'd say. How do you think I'm going to pay the insurance on it? <laughs> well, sell the dead gum thing and get you a Ford or something, you know? What I'm saying, she, she don't mean to and don't even know it. But, but there's, a, there's something in her that always sees the wrong. That could be some indications that you know hardness in my heart don't come overnight it creeps in and there, I mean the list can go on that was the first one now go back to verse five in in uh, Matthew thirteen verse five he's going to give us a next, uh, the next one some fell on stony places then how much earth they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. That's the second human heart. They received instantly the word they heard, and he describes it in verse 20. He who received the seed on stony places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He got excited. Have you you already are thinking of somebody received it with joy, yet he had no root in himself and and, 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 you know, after a while, when tribulation or persecution became, uh, arose because of the word, he stumbled or was offended. Okay, here's the second one, as I, as I call the shallow heart. The first one was the hardened. This is the shallow heart. He understood and felt joy. You know what I think about this guy? I think he was the guy that somebody said, you get saved and you won't have no problems at all. Get saved, and if you ain't never had no problem, you'll have some. Because when you're going the opposite direction, you're going to meet the devil. But you got the answer living inside of you. Let me tell you right now, this this thing called Christianity is not a tippy-toe through the tulips. It's Christ came to establish in me and from me and through me to my world kingdom. And the kingdom take it by force. So this one, this guy, This heart heard the word. I mean, I bet he came to church. He received it immediately. First time he'd been in a long time, man, here he came. Jumped right in the altar. Man, he's, whoa, glory to God. Told everybody in the community about getting saved. His heart was soft, but it was shallow. Because the scripture said, here's the problem of this guy. He never developed a root system. How many of you know you can go to church all your life and never develop a root system? Going to church is awesome. Everybody that's Christian ought to be in church. I mean, I believe that. I am a churchman, praise God, but let me tell you something. Coming to church don't make you a Christian. Going in a barn don't make you a cow. Coming here don't make you a believer. Jesus Christ came to invade my life and your life with his love and grace and forgiveness and establish us as sons and daughters of the most high and put us in a body like this beautiful body here this morning. And then he calls us to develop our life from that point and and what I call a root system. This one never had a root system. Uh, I like like the forest. I mean, you know, I like trees. I'm a country boy. I, I like all that, but you know, I've noticed Bradford pears. I like them. They grow quickly. You plant a Bradford pear, one morning you get up, next morning it's 20 feet tall. No, not that quick, but anyway. <laughs> you ever notice Bradford pears grow quickly? They have a lot of foliage. And you know, when a strong storm came through, the first tree blows over is what? Bradford pear. Why? It's because you got a lot above ground, but the root system couldn't sustain it. This this particular guy, when the word of God in him caused a problem with those around him, persecution, difficulties, it caused him to be offended. And he never developed a root system. He received the word. He heard the word and did it with joy. But he never developed a root system where his life goes down into something bigger than he is. Because what sustains me is not what you see. What you see is the fruit of what's hidden. So how do you, uh, what what do you want, what do you mean preacher? I mean, what kind of root system? Well, I've found primarily in the scriptures, the the word says in Ephesians 3.17. Now listen to it carefully. Be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Now let me try to explain that for just a minute rooted in the love of God is knowing God loves you. Did you know something? You can't get God to love you anymore than what he does. You go, well, he, you, you, just don't know what I've done. He does. <laughs> you know? Have you, you ever seen little kids play hide and seek? It's funny to watch them because you'll get one of these little kids like a two or three year old playing and you go hide and they go somewhere and stick your head in a bush but from here down it's invisible. <laughs> And they think because the head's hid, everything else is hid. And it's like it's like that way with God. We go, God, did you know? And God says, Yeah, I knew. You know what? You know why he calls us to confess our sins? It's not to inform him. Right. <laughs> Lord, I've sinned. No, I'm glad you told me. I didn't know. <laughs> Come on now. And you know, we confess our sin. The word homologia is that we agree with God that we have. When we agree with God, how we're guilty, and we can get help from grace and mercy. So, rooted and grounded, God loves me. You you can't love people if you don't know God loves you. If you think this morning, in this incredible church, I I am so overwhelmed. By the way, the worship was, I just thought, why don't we just worship this morning? Forget this preacher, you know. It was, you did, you guys, you got something good here. It's good. Thank you, I mean, it's good, so when you, when you look at it, I, I am loved. give it away. I mean I, I mean, if it, we've been mean enough to not not you all, but you know, the first church we ever pastored, I thought, man, I'm going to go pastor a church full of saints. May I just respectfully say in about six months, I didn't know sheep would bite. now listen not you guys you know what I'm talking about what I'm saying if if you don't know he loves you and you can't improve he don't love you because of something you've done he loves you because he sees the value of who you are and loves you unconditionally he he looks at every one of you and says I love you period no improvement receive that And then you can love other folks. When we live in Kentucky, I uh, used to fast more there than I did now. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I I was on a 21-day fast, just water. And I was coming off the fast. June needed to go to the grocery store. So I go up to Kroger's with her there in Frankfort. And uh, I'm just kind of easing out of a 21-day fast. I walk into Kroger's, and this is a gospel truth. I looked around, and all of a sudden... I cannot explain to you I loved everybody there and didn't know anybody but Jim. It was like everybody there, I saw value in them. I loved them and I knew it was him. I knew it wasn't something I did. It was the spirit of God in me loving those people. I mean, even you know people are dying to be loved. You know, you got people in the pulpit going, God loves you. Oh Lord, really? <laughs> <laughs> Quit loving me then. So, so this, whole, this whole thing here is no root system. It begins by establishing the fact that God loves me. And then if I know that, then I can give away. Freely I have received, I can freely give. And the other is, is in Colossians 2, 7. Rooted and grounded, are rooted and built up in him. Him is the living and written word. Rooted and grounded in him. You know know what our problem in Washington is? What does the Bible say? Come on now. Somebody just ought to read the Bible. Oh, you're religious? No, I'm not religious. Bless God, this is a book. Listen, God didn't give you a book about what he used to do. I grew up with J.C. Penney and Sears Catalog, them big old thick books. We never bought anything. We couldn't afford it. We called them my wish book, but we could hardly wait to get one. But we never got one that said on the front page, this is what we used to have. God didn't send you a book about what he used to do. Brother and sister, if it's in here, you can count on it. Hallelujah. It is an eternal word. It's a yes and amen. Rooted and built up in him, living and written word. What does God say about it? It don't matter. You know, my opinion, you know, God's not impressed with my opinion. He told me one time, he said, Son, you can't think of how big I am because I'm bigger than you can think I am. That was a revelation. God is good and he loves you. And now this shallow heart didn't have a root system. And my challenge this morning is get rooted. In the fact that God loves me and give it away, get rooted in who he is in the written and living word and let answer your world with what God said about it. Yes. Answer it. Wouldn't it be something that the next general election if everybody, the whole America took their Bible in the voting booth and opened it up and read it before they voted? It would change America. Why? It's because, and this is a prophetic word, we've lost truth and justice in the streets. What is truth now? <laughs> this is it. What did God say about it? I don't care what the Republicans say about it. God bless every one of them, Are the Democrats or the hypocrites. I don't care. What does God say about it? I'm not going to stand before the throne of God and some Republican or some politician or Democrat or someone going to judge me. The God of all ages who knows nothing but eternal truth will. And so I want to live my life. I don't want to live a shallow life. Third, I got to hurry. The third one is the distracted heart. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Well, he explains it in verse 22. Now, the one who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, this particular heart, I believe, understood what they heard. They actually felt something. And the Bible says in, in verse 22, I want you to see this. Uh and he who hears the word. Now that word hears is a present participle for all you English people. You can tell I ain't too good at English, but anyway, (laughs) present participle, it means that when it says hears the word, he continually or repeatedly heard the word. He didn't just read it. This was the guy that, that heard the word, received it, got happy about it, and became a word man. He's got one problem. He's distracted. Now, the problem with the kingdom seed in this heart was it was distracted two ways. Now, I'm telling you, these are secrets and mysteries hidden to the world. I don't have a clue. So that Jesus would come and give us a parable about what distraction can do to the word, even though I read it every day. Here they are. First of all, the cares of this world. Distractions. The cares of this world can catch my attention so that I lose focus on what I've been reading. The cares of this world. I, James said, when when you do that, you're you're, you're like a double-minded man. You're bouncing around, you know. The cares of this world. You remember. Uh, I've relived it many times. Peter got out of the boat. You remember that? These guys are in the boat, and Peter, that's you, Lord, bid me come. And Jesus said, "Come." He didn't send him a CD. You notice? <laughs> Read this. Go through six weeks of training, and then get out of that boat. He said, "Come." That's all he gave him. Come. Now you can you can criticize the old boy for sinking, but you know them other dudes never did really get out. <laughs> you always got somebody in the boat telling a water walker how to walk on the water. It's like people who don't, know how baseball, don't even know what a baseball ball looks like trying to tell me how to bat, or somebody that ain't got no kids that trying to tell me how to raise mine. I wanna, I wanna know, are you living what you're instructing? And so Peter gets out, and how many of you know? Really, the honest truth of mine, it wasn't he was just walking on the water, he's walking, listen to me, on the word that he believed and had received. And it caused him to walk on water just like you walk across that floor here. That's all. I mean, the dude is doing good, man. He's got his eyes on Jesus. He's got the word in his heart. And the water don't matter. What he's heard and what he believed makes him and allows him to walk where nobody could walk. That's a miracle until something happened. You know the story well. I mean, you know, this was, this was not on a smooth, sunny day. It was the storm. And the waves are sloshing. Peter, I bet out of the corner of his eye, he said, man, that was a big one. Can't you just, man. I believe that next one was bigger than the first one. And then he turns like this and he starts watching how big the waves are. Now, him, you know, there's there all along. What's happened to him? He got distracted, and what he was believing, what he was seeing, focusing on, he lost. What happened? Well, in the uh, Spanish language, it's El Cinco. <laughs> Started to sink. Well, God's grace, obviously, Jesus picked them up, and they walked back. Of the boat together. What, what I'm telling you, can you can you see this heart? It says there, there are two things that keeps the word from producing. One is the cares of this world, the other one is the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, we all could use some more. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on now. I mean, if somebody gave me 50 million dollars, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. Nah. I'd come back here and tithe. <laughs> That's only five million. I mean, you know. The deceitfulness of riches. It didn't say riches. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing inherently evil about money or how much. There are, there are more people who don't have it who love it than they are who do. It's not the amount. It's the deceitfulness we buy into as if it will make me happy and fulfill my purpose and destiny in the earth. That's deceit. Listen, more money. I I mean, I guarantee you if I started with June, or start with me if you want to. Could you use some more? Of course I can. But it wouldn't make me any happier. Oh, I might, you know, for a season. And then, I mean, I've talked to a fellow one time had more money than he ever, ever could spend. I mean, a super, super, super rich guy. You know what he said to me? You can only eat so many steaks and wear so many suits and clothes, and live in so many houses. And then what? It all goes back to this. So this was the distracted heart. Well, let's let me hurry. Let's go to the last one. This was the good ground. Starts in verse eighty-nine. Some fell on good ground, and yielded a crop, 60, 30 fold. And he ends, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. In other words, he says, you have to have a spiritual ear to understand what I'm telling. And then he goes over uh, in verse uh, 23 and says, he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands. Notice, there's two things going on. I heard, but I understood what I heard. Two factors. I heard it, but I understood it. That doesn't mean I know everything. That means I, I understood what I heard, and it began to produce. It, it produced some thirty, some sixty, and some hundredfold. I heard it, I understood it, I received it, and it produced. Now let, let me let me stop here. The word is an interesting thing. It's 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 alive. The word of God is alive. It's not there's no book on earth like it. It's, not, it's more than ink and, and the binding of 66 books. It is alive by the Spirit of God because it's a God breathed book, nothing like it on earth. That word that you now heard and listen, understood it and believed it will reproduce its life in the one who understood it and received it. Whatever it is. Let me give an illustration. Some not, I don't know. Year, I don't even remember now. A year and a half ago, what it was, June. Correct me here. Uh, through a whole series of tests, I found out I had some problems. Doctor said through a uh, PET scan, you've got a, um, some problems down in your colon area. You've got some problems up in your lymph node area in your chest. And so anyway, I go through a colonoscopy and. So when I come out of the operating room with a colonoscopy, I, this young guy was the doctor that did the procedure, came out, and he was angry. He actually was angry. I mean, you know, there's was a mad doctor. And I'm just, I mean, you're laying you on you got no defense. He walks up beside me and looked at me, and he said, you're 10 years too late. Oh, really? He said, you should have been here 10 years ago. Well, I wasn't. <laughs> He said, you should have been here 10 years ago. He said, I found a tumor, a mass around your colon I can do nothing with. You'll have to have a surgeon to do anything. Okay. Well, we go through the procedure. We're at Centennial in Nashville and uh, got a recommended surgeon. And so he, he met with us, told us all of what would be before us surgery would be three or four hours long and I to take all of my colon and I would, you know, you know what goes with that. Or maybe part of it. He didn't know it until he got in there. So he's getting ready to do the operation in the operating room and he said, I decided to just check and see before I started the procedure. Now, in the meantime, you'll love this. In the meantime, This little woman on the front row here got a word from God. See, the word will reproduce itself. She got the word. You know what the word was? I would have fainted right out of Psalm. I would have fainted had I not believed. I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That became a to her. Now, did I get a word? I had peace. She's got the word, and I got peace. And if I died, she could say, "Oh boy, died in peace." I mean, that's just the way. I mean, but she had the word and, and our girls, beacon and Donald got two girls. They had the word. And so the day came for the surgery. And so, you know, I'm in the operating room and he tells June all this later. He decided to just check and see and he checks and he already told her it'd be three or four hours and 45 minutes he comes out in the waiting room where June and the girls and a bunch of our church folks are. June said he shook hands with everybody in the waiting room, just like a pastor. Here's the surgeon (laughs) shaking hands with people. And he comes over to June and said, I can't find it. It's gone. What's gone? The tumor's gone. The mass is not there. I didn't do that. And and they did this thing up here. It was benign. My cardiologist in Centennial said, Doc, we take pictures. Here it was, and here it is. He said, I was in, he told me this some time ago, I was up in Kentucky, he said, and a man came to me and said, Dr. McRae, have you ever seen a miracle? He said, matter of fact, I have. And it wasn't because Doc Shale earned it. It was because outside the walled city of Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago, there was a man walked down the Via Dolorosa with his back bleeding and blood running in his face, and his face swollen from the Roman soldiers, and stretched out his arms as Isaiah said, in no resistance, and died. And on Calvary's cross, provided a yes and amen to every promise in the book. Hallelujah. And so, and and so, it isn't because June something or we just like everybody else. We just we're just humans. But the heart that can receive it and believe it, it will reproduce itself, and it's called fruit. 30, 60, 100. Do you ever notice that 30-fold? That means if you, if you read 100 scriptures, you're only believing 30 of them. But bless God, that's 30. Hey, you ever read the Bible and go, I don't understand that. I mean, I do that and I go, I don't understand that, Lord. You know, it's like Uncle Bud Robin said, he read that scripture, said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He said, well, Lord, does that mean you ain't got no stable to put me in? He said, the Lord said, well, no, bud, that's not what I meant. He said, that's what you said. (laughs) It's okay when you say, I don't understand it. But what you do understand, hear it, believe it, and let it reproduce. Maybe it'll turn into sixtyfold or a hundredfold. Those are the human hearts. Four of them. They're all here. It represented in the world is are these four hearts. Jesus said, When the word comes, this is how the heart or the souls respond to that. I love it. I love it when Jesus prayed. I mean, you know, we, we have a little record of his praying. We have John seventeen, Matthew six. We have a little of that. And you know they the disciples watched him heal the sick, raise the dead, walk on water. But we have no record that they ever said, Would you teach me how to walk water on water? Would you teach me how to heal the sick? Will you teach me? You can fill in the blank. Never. But when I heard him pray, said, Lord, will you teach us how to pray like you pray? And Jesus said, okay, say this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. That means in me and in you like it is in heaven. Now, if you do the whole construction thing in the Greek language, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch, You'll come out with this. That was not a suggestion. That was a command. It was not even asking that situation to respond. It was a command. I am looking at this and I am putting a command on it. I command the kingdom of God. You're not talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God to come, the will of God to be done in this like it is in heaven. That's the authority of the kingdom. So I, I want to be the latter, just like you do. I want to be the good ground. The good ground wasn't inherently good. It was actually, if you translate that out in its meaning, it means this was the ground that received, received, received. I, uh, I got saved nineteen sixty three and. Little Methodist Church it became Methodist because my my mom and dad were Methodists. They were. I didn't know anything, so we were in the Methodist Church. So I thought, well, be Methodist. I didn't know what Methodists believed. All I knew was I was lost and I was found. I was blind now I see, and I got saved in February 1963. And I can remember at the altar that morning when I got saved. I got up out of the altar walked over to an elderly lady in that church that I knew, Hazel Graham, and I said, Miss Hazel, if you ever have anything you need done, I'd like to do it. I mean, I'm not even, I'm still wet behind ears. Well, they took me at my word. They didn't believe in eternal security in that Methodist church theologically, but they did when it came to jobs. (laughs) If you got it, it only take God to deliver you. And so every time, they, every time they want something done, I'd raise my hand. <laughs> you know, I didn't know anybody. Nobody told me not to raise your hand. I can remember one time they said, we need somebody to mold the cemetery. I had a big country cemetery. We need somebody to mold the cemetery this summer. <laughs> I regretted that one, but I did. I'd, I'd work all week, go out there on Saturday, hot, mowing that cemetery, and some of the church folks had honked their horn, one why would wave at me. I'm thinking, why don't you come out here and help me mow this cemetery? One day they needed somebody uh, to teach a college class. I mean, I, did, I thought, I didn't know nothing. But, but my heart was right. God had put something in my heart, and I was trying to give it away. And I mean, you know, they had to buy me a Bible. I thought concordance was the last book of the Bible. For years, I called the Sepulchre the sepulcher. She used to laugh at me because I did that. And one day they needed somebody to teach the old women. My mama was in there. because she thought i was Billy Graham.. And one day God said, "I need somebody." that'll preach the gospel around the world. I see that hand. And I went home to tell my sweetie. I said, honey, God's called me to preach. I was squalling. She was crying. She looked like I'd hit her in the face with a wet squirrel. She grabbed me and she said, Honey, I I don't play the piano. I'm not a preacher. But there's one thing I'll never do. I'll never stand in your way. That was 50 years ago. She's been the model of a pastor's wife. I say all that to say this.